0: The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. Coming to you live from Paris in France. It's the plot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived, and it is Friday Sunday, the Game of Thrones is back on HBO. Season six starts one of the craziest shows that I have ever seen. I love Game of Thrones. I'm an addict. I can't wait to see season six. You guys know how much I dig it. That's why I had to get someone from Game of Thrones. Here on Talk is Jericho via my good friend and mutual friend, Andy Biersack from Black Brides. John Bradley is going to be here. Who's John? He plays Samuel Tarly of the Night's Watch. That's right. Jon Snow's best friend. The guy who actually killed a White Walker. We're going to talk about all of that stuff, how and where they film it. His real relationship with Kit Harington, who plays Jon Snow how he feels about the supposed death of Jon Snow. I don't think Jon Snow's dead. That's just my opinion. Uh, (laughs) John does not answer it, but I gave him my thoughts. He's got uh, stories about how he got the gig, how he killed the White Walker, what it's like to be on Game of Thrones. He's been on the show uh, since the very first season, and so far, fingers crossed, he has not been killed. You never know what's going to happen in season six. got a great discussion about acting and theater and chemistry and Paul McCartney. Great conversation with Jon Bradley. You're going to dig it. Even if you don't like Game of Thrones, and if you don't like Game of Thrones, you got to go check it out this Sunday on HBO. The best show on TV, one of the best shows on TV. Uh, before we start with John Bradley, though, let me say thanks. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the great sponsors of this podcast. That's why I'm able to do two episodes for you for free every single week. And there's one long-time Talk is Jericho sponsor I talk about all the time because I love uh, the guy. I love his program. I use it. I believe in it. I'm going to do it today. After a long uh, travel day, uh, great matches with AJ Styles here on the European Tour, I need my DDP yoga, and I am going to do it on the DDP Yoga Now app. Right? If you still haven't given Diamond Dallas Page and his amazing fitness program a try, what are you waiting for, man? Order it now at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and hey if you live in Australia DDP is going to be there next week okay for a double whammy Oscar, Grammy, triple whammy cut that's a take what album is that from so here's your chance to experience DDP Yoga live and in person if you live in Melbourne Australia he'll be hosting a DDP workshop on May 1st in Melbourne and uh, the week before on April 24th he's hosting a screening of this uh, incredible documentary The Resurrection of Jake the Snake also in Melbourne if you want to see the life changing effect of DDP Yoga check out the documentary and go do the workout with DDP. You can get tickets for both events at ticketblaster.com.au and if you're not in Melbourne then order your own DDP yoga program at ddpyoga.com slash and get three free months of the DDP yoga now app. I use this app all the time. It's how I do my DDP yoga every uh, every time and that's why I'm in the best shape of my life having some of the best matches of my career killing it with AJ Styles on the live events. If you guys live in Paris come see the show tonight. If you live in Malaga, Spain Come see the show on Saturday and see what DDP Yoga can do for you and why it's uh, it's done it for me. Okay? Uh, And go use the DDP Yoga Now app. It's got all the workouts on it, all the DDP's workouts. You can also do live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center. Tons of nutrition tips, inspirational stories, and videos. I like the videos, and you can even access cooking shows so you can see how to prepare healthier meals for yourself. It's also very important to your whole overall fitness regimen to eat well. The DDP Yoga Now app is available at iTunes and the Google Play Store, and when you go download it, you'll see all the amazing reviews it's getting from people just like you and me. So take advantage of the special offer DDP has given you, the sexy beast listeners of Talk in Jericho. Order at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, and get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. Get started today on ddpyoga.com. Slash Jericho. Come on, man. Get in the best shape of your life and do it with DDP Yoga.
1: I've been more used to you as a master, More used to everyone now Maester Eamon's gone. The Citadel has the world's greatest library. I'll learn about history, strategy, healing, and other things. Things that will help when they come. If Gilly stays here, then she'll die. And the baby that she named after me will die and I'll end up dying too trying to protect them so this is
0: always funny I did this with with, uh, Jerry Ferrara from from Entourage where the first time we ever met was in a hotel room yeah coming to meet a strange man in his hotel room is a little bit uh, shady under different circumstances but I'm here with John Bradley Game of Thrones and uh, it's very cool that you came here and we have a friend of a friend that, that made this
1: happen yes we do which was Andy Biersack from Blackville Rides. my good friend Andy beersack yeah I've, Andy, not, I've not known Andy for that long we We just did a movie together over in l a and so what movie
0: did you do with them
1: we we've just been working on a movie called uh, American Satan mm-hmm. It's kind of a an updating of the the kind of Faust legend okay yeah, so it's all about it's all about the dark side and all about all the things that can befall you if you get mixed up in all that stuff It's a really good because, well, of course, I I'd never met any of those guys before mm-hmm. we did this movie. And it was Andy and and Ben Bruce, the guitarist from... No kidding, from a- a- Asking Alexandria. Alexandria. Yeah,
0: Both talk as Jericho alumni. Is yeah, and they're,
1: they're really, really great guys. We had an amazing time. It's one of those things where... Yeah, because the, the business is so transient and you work on things for a couple of months, then you may never see people right. again. The hardest thing is getting to know people. Yeah. But with this, it was, it was kind of the quickest chemistry that's ever formed for me on a job, really. I mean, we were literally really good friends by the end of day one. And and I've been very lucky with some of the people that I have worked with so far. But these guys are right up there. You can tell sometimes that the difference between friends for the job and mm-hmm. friends for life, you know?
0: Well, you can tell that right away. Usually that goes, goes with people in general. Like you meet somebody right off the bat, you know, okay, that guy yeah. is a solid guy. That guy can maybe one or the other, you know?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you have to make the effort to... Of course of course every if if you've got a group of strong personalities as people with kind of artistic temperaments mm-hmm. tend to be mm-hmm. you you may find that you maybe don't have quite the same chemistry with other people, but as long as you get along with them and respect them, it's fine. You don't have to make a best friend on every job you do.
0: Well, yeah, and like you said, you always hear about like the onset romances, and that's like you said, onset friendships too. Yeah, but to actually be able to continue that on is the is the real kind of tricky thing to do.
1: That's right. I I think the the best friends that you ever make are friends that you make when you're scared or nervous or oh, why do you say that? Slightly unsure of yourself. I, I just think when you start a new job, you do feel. And, and I think you should feel this I think it's quite healthy You do feel that you have to prove yourself all over again mm-hmm. So you have, to, you have to make them feel they've made the right choice In choosing you for the job And it's important to create first impressions So everybody arrives on a new job Feeling slightly unsure of themselves Like they're on slightly unfamiliar ground And I think as soon as you latch onto somebody In that environment And under those circumstances You tend to keep hold of them really Because you, they're, they're, you both serve as a raft that the other uh, person can yeah. kind of float on, you know?
0: Well, and especially when you're talking about, like, those guys are band guys, so they're outside of their element to be acting. Yeah. And you spending so much time on the Game of Thrones cast to go outside of that world. is probably... You have to, like you said, it's a little bit uh, nerve wracking.
1: Yeah, and because they knew each other already, uh, and, mm-hmm. and Andy and Ben especially have been on a lot of the same kind Tours. of touring circuits, yeah. and 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 they do a lot of these kind of a lot of the festival circuit together as well. So you know, I I was maybe concerned that they'd maybe formed a clique already and maybe wouldn't let anybody else into it. But they were incredibly open and incredibly giving of themselves, and yeah, they just made. I'd like to think we all made each other's jobs quite a lot easier. Were They Thrones
0: fans too. Yeah, they were. So that helps as well when you have that mutual respect, you know.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean that's one of the, that's one of the, the great things about being in something that's so that's so widely watched and so widely known is thats is that you'll always find somebody to strike up a conversation mm-hmm. with. If, if, if it only starts with Game of Thrones, it can lead on to something else quite quickly. But at least a lot of the barriers are kind of broken down early on. You know? Well, like
0: you said, yeah, because they, they, like I mentioned, when it's if, they, if you're known for Game of Thrones or being in a band or, yeah. or wrestling or whatever, it's like, oh, yeah. I know that guy. Yeah. You already kind of like that person because you
1: know their work. Yeah, of course. And that helps. And people always surprise you really because people the public perception of people is never the full story Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. it it never is and so you you get to know them you get to know you get to know the side of themselves that they rarely show and you find that you know underneath it all no matter what reputations people carry around they're all just people yeah and you, and if you talk for long enough you'll find that you'll find a shared oh, yeah. interest and then that can that can set you off and running for, for I find a that point.
0: especially when you meet somebody that you really admire like that's a hero maybe of yours yeah. if, I don't know if you've had that experience yet but once you've got to break down that barrier of like oh my god it's so and so and then realize it's just a dude that's doing something cool yeah just like we are you know
1: and people People often worry. You know, would it be embarrassing, or, will, or or will it will it make them cringe if I say that I like their stuff? And people people are always people always like to know that they're doing something sure. good. You know, absolutely. And I and I think if that's the thing I find about working in entertainment or working working around these types of people, if somebody's shy and genuinely shy. That's fine for norm, for for unless normal people. That's that's the wrong thing to say. But that's fine for people every day. But if you work in, if you've got a profile and you're shy. You can come across as quite rude. Mm-hmm. You can come Absolutely. across as come across as quite arrogant and distant. Where in actual fact, you're just slightly reticent to right. be that giving of yourself. And that's fine. And, and in any group of people beyond like three or four people, there's going to be slightly different personalities. Mm-hmm. But it's all about just finding finding your place the in common that. ground with that yeah is that how, like how how many months of the year do
0: you shoot game of thrones
1: we go from usually we go from the summer sound sort of july august right up until christmas
0: and so then the rest of the year you can go get other gigs like like the american satan yeah
1: i mean that's that, that's the great thing about it really the fact that it gives you a lot of security not only job security for now anyway but just just it, it gives you a kind of financial foundation mm-hmm. where you can go and pursue things that may be slightly less mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. slightly less lucrative but just to kind of it take you to a different artistic yeah, space expand and your
0: creative horizons yeah because i'm sure now you have more opportunities with game of
1: thrones being so hot yeah it's it's we're all finding that that it's a it's a blessing and a curse really because you know Playing these parts that, are, that are, some of them are very iconic and some of them are very um, closely associated with them. Right. But so you do find that you do get a lot of opportunities, but you you, you kind of get more opportunities to play similar characters to that. <laughs> I get you. See what I mean? So so uh, you you just have to be brave and 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 you just have to you pick and choose a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just because because you don't want want to get. Saddled with a part Typecast No, you don't really want to But but as I always say, you know I don't think that acting jobs Are necessarily a showcase For the actor to show how good they are I think that when you act You're serving the story And if a job comes up which is an interesting story, but the character is similar to a character you've played in the past, mm. then, then you should just serve the story, really. It's not, right. it's not really necessarily about, oh, in this I'll show that I can do this accent, or in this I'll show that I can play this. If, if you like the story and you like the part, but, but it, it has echoes of something you've done in the past, then it's not up to you to change yourself to, sh- to showcase your talents. It's up to you to serve the story as faithfully as you can. I was
0: reading something about um, The Martian, Yeah Uh, Matt Damon got the call From Ridley Scott And said you know We're going to do This space movie He's like "Ah, I've already done One or maybe Two space movies Out of the last few That I've done He's like You can't think that way Yes it's a space movie It's got nothing to do With really space Yeah Because he was Thinking once again I don't want to be Typecast as The space guy now Yeah don't worry about it. Just what's the role and what's the part that you're going to be playing within the confines of this I think that, space movie, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really sensible way of looking mm-hmm. at it because one thing about Game of Thrones is I don't think it's much like other fantasy shows that you've seen. I think it is different. So mm-hmm. if you weren't to watch it and you were to lump it in with a lot of the other fantasy series that have been on, that would be kind of doing both of them a disservice in a way. And I think that's why a lot of people have had to take a bit of a chance with it a lot of people come up to me and say it's not the type of thing i'd usually watch but i really like it and i think that's because it's unique in its treatment of psychology and treatment of characters and it's hard it's a show about uh, dysfunctional relationships within families bingo but it's just got this backdrop of of kind of a medieval fantasy thing but if you were to just say oh, I don't like fantasy, I, I won't watch that. I think you'll be missing out on all those elements that make it such a good HBO show. Right. In addition
0: to a good fantasy series, you I know? was telling my wife that because we watched the first couple episodes of Game, and then she didn't like it because the dog died. Oh yeah. And you know, and I was like, you have to watch it and forget about, you know, same with Walking Dead. Forget about the backdrop of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about the relationships of human beings and how they react within yeah. this. Horrible situation, exactly. And you just met the same with the game. It's it's okay. It's medieval times, and all this stuff happens. But it's basically, this functional family and the and the quest for power.
1: Yeah, and and it's how being in an environment where l- human life is so disposable, so everything becomes extreme. It's a very extreme environment. Right? And how those? It's an examination of how those relationships can be conducted in such extreme circumstances. Yeah, because there's no consequences if you kill somebody, basically.
0: I mean, there is, but, but really there isn't.
1: Yeah, it, it was a time when, you know, if people say, I'm going to kill you, they meant it. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't just rhetoric. Yeah. So in that situation where anybody can go at any time, and in our show, anybody can go at any time, it's it's interesting to examine how life is carried out in those circumstances, sure. but uh, but it just reaches the conclusion that people will always be people whether you work in an office or whether you whether you you're right in the court of the king It's all about ambition and it's all about power and you know Receiving power and, and losing power and how that affects people so it's all it's human life in microcosm Just set against this quite epic background
0: and you just said something that, that I find like it's such a golden age of TV Right now. Yeah, like, there's completely. so many great shows and the best ones are the ones, like you said, where the tried and true tradition of whoever the lead characters are, they can die at any time. I know. I remember Game of Thrones when I first got into the first season, um, Sean Bean, I can't remember what his name was in the show. Ned, yeah. Ned. He's on the cover of the DVDs. I know. And he, you know, spoiler alert, it's, it, it's, it's over and done with because it was three or four years ago, but of he course. dies. Yeah, And course. it's like, What? I know he's like the main guy and he dies and you think he gets beheaded and you're thinking okay the Calvary's gonna come and save him there's yeah. no way he's gonna die and then he does it just it, it, it rivets you
1: yeah it just goes to show you from that moment on that was the precedent set you know all bets are off now mm-hmm. anybody can go don't think that anybody's safe and you're right it, it is a great time for TV and I think that people are realizing now that TV is 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 the platform to tell stories on because yeah. you get so much more time with characters. If we were to try and condense these, it's hard enough to condense them into ten hour. to ten hour season. Ten, 10 hours. 10, 10, hour ten hour season. Movie, yeah. yeah, but but to do it into a two hour movie, three hour movie, even would be too much of a task. We just lose so much of it. So, and TV is is where the best stories are being told at the moment, I think, and it's a great time to be an actor as well because if you'd noticed. Some of the best Or most of the best Iconic Appointment to view TV series Over the past few years Have had Middle aged men Mm. As their leads Right So it's a great For the first time now Actors that used to be Character actors Are becoming lead actors In things Mm. So people who would have Played the dad Or people who would have Played the quirky Older best friend Are now leads in things Right You think of of Brian Cranston and, And Steve Buscemi And great point you know and peter peter dinklage the great peter dinklage in our show they're all men of a certain age who've got so much character about them and can bring so much of their their worldly wise demeanor to these parts. it wouldn't work with younger men they have to be that age and and they're the iconic characters of tv at the moment
0: you know that's a great point um how many seasons have you done? With uh, we've the done five. And uh, how many have you been on the show?
1: I've been on since the start. Since so right from the beginning. Yeah, I came in kind of halfway through season one. It's it's interesting to see how it's it's grown, really.
0: Well, and that's and that's half the beauty of There's the character arc of yeah. Samuel started kind of like the like the high like the high school nerd, basically, yeah, exactly, and now going off to be a, a master meister. Yeah. was
1: basically a wizard. And that's that's the lovely thing about about having 10 hours a year with these characters, that the the, the developments, the psychological and the kind of narrative developments can be paced in a way that's organic. Mm -hmm. People would think that, spoiler alert again, when Sam kills a White Walker in season three, the received wisdom would be that after that he'd immediately grow and he'd immediately start walking around like Shaft. You know, (laughs) he'd immediately start thinking of himself as something special. But in in reality, psychology doesn't work like that. It takes people a lot longer to get over things. To get that
0: confidence. It takes
1: people a lot longer for their confidence and their character to really blossom. So the fact that we get so much time with them means that that can happen in a way that doesn't feel rushed, that feels faithful. To, yeah. To you know the
0: organic progression of this character. Yeah. And it's funny. Right before you got here, uh, there was a knock on the door, and before I could get up, the door opened. and I'm like, is oh. he a, is he a wizard? Like, how did he open my door? <laughs> and it was the maid oh, checking no. to see if there was service. And then you came right after. But I was like, wow, he really is a wizard. He really <laughs> is <laughs> Ishkabibble. Open the door. <laughs> <laughs> what is? I mean, you might not even know this, but w- what's the budget for an episode of, of Game of Thrones?
1: Um, I'm not sure, really. I'm, I, I mean it's when you see it because we when we start a new season we have these we have premieres and we normally show the first episode of mm-hmm. these premieres and you get to see it on huge screens we we've we've done it at, at man's chinese okay and, like on the big screen on the yeah. big, on the biggest of big screens and you find that it really does hold up and, and looks like a movie oh well, it does and that's why i'm asking it's, it would seem like you know, five million, ten million
0: dollar budget because there's so much going on. It must be something like that. I you think. know, yeah. that's, that's that's such an incredible amount of money to yeah. be spent. Yeah, on an episode of a TV show, but it's more than just that. But but I was just thinking the the risk that HBO took at first. Oh yeah, to make this show because I mean the sets alone and the hundreds. I'm sure there's some CGI, but there's also you got to have these guys in there to do the battles and all of the stuff as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. And and also they'd never done. They'd never done a fantasy series before, mm-hmm. so that was enough of a gamble anyway. Will our audience, who are used to things like The Wire and Sopranos, will they buy this? Will they go for this? And right. it turns out they did, because I think the balance between those two things is just right. But the thing also, as you say about a fantasy series, is we can't just film it on the streets of mm-hmm. Burbank. Right, right. You know, We can't do that. We have to find these immersive atmospheres, and we have to build a lot of the sets of complete 360 builds so so they're just there. So they're real
0: you know so, fortresses of you know whatever yeah. they be
1: so the first time i walked into castle black on the first day of shooting it was all there it was a, it was a complete 360 and a kind of immersive experience and that that can only help oh yeah that gets you into it i'm yeah. sure yeah we have to do some some green screen as well for things that are just too um kind of outlandish to shoot but but most of the time you you're in the environment you're in when we go to iceland we're feeling the cold we're feeling minus 35 degrees sometimes. So it, it, you can't help but immerse yourself in it when when you're placed so in an environment that's so faithfully recreated. It seems that most of your scenes uh,
0: are in the snow and in the cold and at night. Yeah. And that's probably not
1: the easiest of conditions to be shooting in. No, it's not. It's very tiring, actually. When we went to iceland i don't know if you've been to iceland it's, i have not that's where you film it in iceland we, we filmed summer season two and three in iceland and we got out there november december so not only is it incredibly cold minus 35 as i said some days you only get like four or five hours daylight right because it gets dark so quickly it gets dark so quickly so you have to it's a very very intense working day but but you can tell when you get there that that it's just going to add so much texture to it. And, and there's very little CGI on those Iceland scenes. Mm. Most of it is, as, is on the screen as it was on the day. and, and there, there, was, there was a couple of times where one springs to mind where we, uh, we couldn't actually get onto the location because the snow was so bad. They'd found a location for us to do this scene and then they came back and said, the snow's so bad, all the roads are closed, we can't really get up there safely. So we were like, so what are we going to do? They said, we'll, we'll just try and find somewhere else. So they went out of the back of the hotel, we were literally walking 10, 20 yards, and they found this unbelievable, like, cliff face with, with all, all, all glaciated ice on it. it oh wow. incredible. So, so, you know, and then you see that on the screen, that, that looks such a beautiful location. You think, how beautiful would the one that they... which we're intending to use is going to be. But that's just how much of an embarrassment of riches Iceland is as a landscape. Just to go there. You don't have to go far, A, before you find something beautiful, and also B, before you find somewhere that looks completely untouched Mm -hmm. by by modern life at all. It, 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 It looks now as it's looked for millions of years. And I think when you go to somewhere like that, you can really... Get a sense of of history and and the kind and of and once again geography. because your
0: show is so historical, it takes place hundreds of years ago.
1: Yeah, you know
0: these these locations existed.
1: Yeah, it, time, it helps. Real. You, it helps if you can block out mm-hmm.
0: the modern world as much as you possibly can. Is there someone off screen like as soon as they'll cut that has a big
1: big jacket for you to put on? Yeah, there is. <laughs> there had to be. Really. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I think that that we'd like to consider ourselves to be quite. Quite tough and quite resilient, but you know, it's only when you realize that in England especially we're so down the middle when it comes to weather <laughs> we never really have extremes either way and if we do get extremes either way the country just grinds to a halt <laughs> Right. Yeah. we get a flurry of snow and no planes can take off and if it gets too hot we can't use a hose pipe anymore so when we were out in Iceland we just thought there's no way that I'm ever going to complain about the cold in England again <laughs> but I, I did of course you
0: do
2: yeah
1: you do yeah, yeah. because you can't take yourself back to how cold you were but it was a, a shock to the system How's it feel to be friends with the most hated man at Castle Black? You were friends with me when I first came here, and I wasn't winning any elections back then. Is to us then.
0: I'm here with John Bradley, aka Samwell Tarly, on Game of Thrones. It is back this Sunday, season six on HBO. How did
1: you get uh, get the gig in the first place? Well it was it was seemed like such a long time ago now. I was in I went to drama school, I did three years of drama training in Manchester. Uh, which I loved, and a great time, and then came out, got my agent from that, and then this was the first thing I was put up for. You're kidding me. Yeah. This was your first audition, basically. My first audition, yeah, which, which, looking back now, I'm sure that people now would be daunted to audition for Game of Thrones, but the fact was I was daunted just because it was my first audition. Right. And I probably would have been just as nervous no matter what it was. But the fact that it was this, this, the thing that got me so excited because it was an HBO thing because I didn't read I hadn't read the books mm-hmm. and I, I and I used to like fantasy when I was a kind of kid an early teenager but I kind of drifted away from it a little bit so I wasn't really what kind of fantasy did you like well I used to, I used to love sci-fi very much I would, like certain movies or shows yes or... yes yeah, so yeah, Star Wars okay I, right. I, I was I was hugely into Star Wars which would be like
0: futuristic fantasy did you yeah. ever play Dungeons and Dragons or anything? Do you have that here, Dungeons? Yeah, and Dragons? we do. Yeah. No, I,
1: I was never quite into that. No, okay. it was always it was always kind of forward looking science fiction. Right. Once again, Star Wars is a, a, you know a father and son relationship set on a set on absolutely another dysfunctional family, another dysfunctional family. So that they, all, all that's at the root of all good drama, be it fantasy or mm-hmm. or whatever. So so the only thing I had to latch onto was the fact this is an HBO thing, and I, and as soon as I knew it was HBO, that that. Conjures up so many great images in a just kind of Just the name, the brand. Just HBO, the brand, HBO. Right? I mean, I mean, if you think of, if you think of, if, if if any kind of TV production company would have come up with Sopranos alone, they'd be kind of pleased with themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you look at some of the other stuff they've done, and you think, oh God, I'd love to get the chance to work with them. And as soon as you know their name was behind it, you knew it was legit. Mm-hmm. Like You knew that this would feature people working at the very top of their game. And the fact that even I even have the chance to go in front of these people and try and sell my wares is very humbling. So did you have to come to London for that? Yeah, I came to London. I came to London twice. And the first time I was just put on camera, the same as everybody is, which is which is a kind of... It was a strange experience for me anyway because we. I went to such a theatrical theater school it was all mainly about live theater we did th- like shakespearean plays and that yeah sort of thing, all yeah. the classics so we but we we did three hours of camera training in three years hmm. so it's not a lot and i think that and i think that drama schools in england are looking forward now and they they do know the importance of training for camera but back then but when, when i was there there was very little so i went into the audition and was put on camera didn't know whether to perform for the person in the room or for the camera mm-hmm. so no matter what I did it seemed to work and then I came for a recall and met met uh, Frank the producer and Dan one of the showrunners and it kind of went from there really but yeah it's strange to think I did three hours of camera training And my fourth hour on camera was my first hour on Game of Thrones.
0: (laughs) Let's talk a little bit, though, because this is something interesting that a lot of people don't realize. The difference between a live on stage performance and a performance for
1: the camera. Yeah. What are some of the differences? I think it's a slightly different feat of concentration. I think it's all about the concentration. The challenge in theater is to go on every night for a year, maybe and say the lines as if you're saying them for the very first time Mm -hmm. which is a challenge of course it is and you need you need to really lock yourself into the machine of the performance in order to pull that off the difference between that and acting for camera is when you're on a film set you have to say it 40 times that day Mm -hmm. and still say it like you're saying it for the first time even though you've literally said it 40 times in f- f- for so many different shots and so many different takes. So you have to keep your concentration up for that in a slightly different way. It's not about plotting a character's journey across two hours of a story. It's about plotting their journey across sometimes only 30 seconds of a scene. Mm-hmm. And you you have to keep locked into it in order to keep hitting those notes every time. I mean, if you've got an emotional, a, an emotional scene where, for example, you find out that I don't know, find out that your wife's been cheating on you or something. So you you have that to play. If you're doing it in a play across two hours, then you kind of live the emotional journey through that. You can remember 90 minutes ago when you were with your wife on stage and Mm -hmm. you were all in love, and now you can follow that narrative through and the psychological twists and turns are all very present. But when you're doing it for camera, of course... Not only have you got to hit the same emotional notes 40 times that day, but you may not have even met the actress playing your wife yet. Right. Or you may be shooting it out of context. Shooting it completely she out might of context. She may not even have cheated on you yet. Maybe not cheating. You, you maybe have not even filmed the scenes where you're in love yet. Ah, right at the right. very start of the movie when you're living this idealized mm-hmm. life that all subsequently goes wrong. So they're just some of the differences. I, I, I think that it's mainly about, in film you have to be imaginatively more agile. Mm -hmm. You have to really throw yourself around emotionally and and make sure that you can just drop yourself in at any point in the script. You have to have for both of them, you have to have a real understanding of the script. But you have to plot your way through a film script slightly differently. So you understand the character and and his development and his motivation all the way through well enough that you could shoot the very last scene the movie first, first. right yeah I, I've,
0: I've found um from the wrestling ring which is i always called it a modern day shakespearean play, yeah you are um emoting to a, an arena of people a stadium of people sometimes yeah it has to be bigger bigger motions bigger movements and you have to be able to turn that down to be very subtle at times Especially when you go in front of a camera when it's a backstage bit or yeah, of course. do a movie or whatever it may be But the live performance the live reaction the live gratification of whether they're laughing or whether they're oh my yeah. goodness, the,
1: all that pl- comes into play as a live performer Well, it's interesting though because for you guys You do have to I mean these are huge venues that you that you do this in I mean I mean there's th- tens of thousands of people there mm-hmm and you have to be big, and you have to you have to play to the back row a lot of the time. But also, you the challenge is that you're on camera as well for the screen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, you're right.
0: For the big screen. For the big screen. Yeah.
1: So you have to find the balance between those two things. Yeah. I've always found that very
0: interesting. There, there is a lot of similarities. That's why I wanted to ask you because I have the same uh, feelings about about the live performance. In comparison to a camera on camera, yeah, stage or like I said, a movie or whatever, because you know you shoot a a TV show and you don't see it for six months.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So you don't know which take they're going to use, what's good, what's bad. Is this still funny after you've said it five or six times? Yeah, you know you get a laugh the first time, but then you know that yeah, uh, comedy especially is is very interesting. I've I've done I've done. this, well, Sam, Samwell is, is, is a very funny character within yeah. the confines of the Game of Thrones universe as well.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of candle-in-the-darkness thing mm-hmm. in terms of a, a candle-in-the-darkness <laughs> is, is, is the brightest thing. Right. But, but compared to... Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing... It, it's kind of a cliche, really, but it's so true. If, if you're doing something that's comic on film, you, you find that the first time you show it to the crew, they may laugh, Mm -hmm. The second time you show it to the crew They may laugh but slightly less Mm -hmm. And then after that because they've heard it so many times They've heard it (laughs) 40 times There's nothing. nothing. You're flatlining every single time you say it So the temptation then is to say Oh no they're not laughing anymore Mm -hmm. I I, I need to push it I need to come up with something else I need to change it in a way that's going to surprise them But the more you do that The more you get away from what was funny in the first place So you just have to trust that The audience are only going to see it once Mm -hmm. No matter how many times you do it on the day the take that they pick is all that the audience is ever going to experience of it yes which is why you have to be faithful in every take to to what to what the director wants and what you want long term mm-hmm. because because you're giving an audience one chance to watch this one shot and so you have to
0: right so your timing and and the, your delivery has to be the same yes yeah.
1: every time yeah to it, get the optimum reaction and and trust trust the edit as well right trust that the guys in the edit room and, and and the director and the producers who were there during the edit trust that they that you're in good hands with them because you because you most of the time are because they want to use the best tape because it's their, they've got their name on it sure yeah so they want to pop it as well so it's, it's, it's just a case of you you give them what they want on the day then you have to hand it over to them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have to say I trust you with this to make of this what you will and right. and the good thing about Thrones especially is that the guys, David and Dan, the execs, they've made it feel like a collaboration from day one. Mm. So there's, there's a scene in my first episode in season one where John and Sam are, are cleaning tables and they're discussing women. They're discussing being virgins, and they're discussing how come they've never had sex with women and stuff. That scene wasn't in the original draft. Hmm. That scene was written much later when they saw the relationship that was starting to develop between me and Kit Harrington. he plays right. John. So they they saw that very quickly. It's the same with me and Andy, and, and me and Ben. You know, it's, it's just a very immediate chemistry that happened where we started to we started to. You know, react to each other, we started to relate to each other in this way, and then they they were sensitive enough to spot that and say oh, we're going to use this relationship or parts of this relationship for the Sam and John relationship, because it feels organic, we can see that there's a trust developing, so they wrote that scene out of that real life relationship, which once, yeah. once you know that you've got uh, producers and writers, you've got your best interests at heart, mm-hmm. and, they, and they know what you are, know what kind of actor you are, and we'll start to Right to your strengths. That's when you feel really supported, <laughs> and that's going to happen as we were talking about earlier. Especially when you
0: spend so much time together. Yeah. With the guys in your in your crew, you're yeah. going to become friends. If, you know, just from the fact that you're sitting in minus thirty five weather for months on
1: end. Yeah. That's a connection that no one else will ever get. That's the thing, but but I just because I had a great relationship with Kit, and that was the first kind of professional relationship I ever had because it was the first thing I did. <laughs> the fact that we have a good relationship means now that i assume i'm going to make a new best friend on everything yeah right you know and i may not i've been very lucky as i say right up until recently with andy and ben mm-hmm. i've i've and, and and you know that's not to you know disparage or say anything about the other guys in the movie because sure. they're all great we were
0: all friends but there's chemistry but, like you said somebody you yeah. really really jibe with
1: yeah just yeah and the conversation becomes easy there's a great i can't remember where it's from and i'm going to paraphrase horribly here about about the, there were two guys fishing. I, people can Google this if they don't quite know the thing. Two guys fishing, and, and they were together in, 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 out in the Highlands somewhere, and then they, they realized that at that point they were best friends because they realized they didn't have to talk to each other. Ah, right. That there's an ease to it. There's an ease to genuine friendship and genuine chemistry, which means you don't always have to be... You don't always have to be on. You don't always have to be bringing saying something. You don't always have to be bringing something to the table. Mm-hmm. It's it's just about being with somebody, which is a very comforting thing. And I find that that that, that the real chemistry comes from being relaxed and, and and that helps with the on-screen work as well because it's the same it's the same it's, it's hugely magnified when it comes to your job. It's just all about trust. Absolutely, yeah. You just have to trust each other. You 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 have to say that in a slightly less extreme case, with us, because it's only acting and it's only artistic, but
0: still, there is some trust, like you said. And I always find when you actually do have a relationship with someone, when you when you legitimately like each other, yeah, you always work harder. Um, not that you don't work hard, but you always you always want it to be better because yeah. it's your friend.
1: It's true. You know what I mean. And you can also play scenes of antagonism between two people if you yeah. get, if you really get on with them. Right. As well. In fact, it's better because. You feel more comfortable displaying it,, yeah. and you know there 's an understanding that it 's only work, and we really do like each other mm-hmm. and, and having said that i 'm going to really rip into you now because I know that we 're both comfortable with it, and I know that we both support each other, so it it just helps if if you if you think if I fall you 're going to catch me that's yeah, right, right. that trust trust uh, that's that 's kind of all the hard work done really
0: now you mentioned that you hadn 't read the books i haven 't read the books either, yeah. just watched every episode. But the books don't mirror completely the show, right? Well, I I have read the books now. Now, a, 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 a but of, at first, you did
1: not cover to cover, but kind of,
0: you know, so di- is, is dipping. It, in is there. it
1: mirroring what's going on in the show, or is it, are they changing it? They have to, they have to. Well, because the books are huge, and that we've only got ten hours of show, some things have to be cut, and some things have to be you know slapped together and, and conflated a little bit, and mm-hmm. and and it can't be that faithful just because. David and Dan, when they start a new season, apart from all the artistic decisions they've got to make, they've got, um, they've got a huge mathematical problem. In terms of we've got 10 hours, we've got all of these characters, and we have to make sure that we give them time enough to have a satisfying narrative arc right. across 10 episodes. So their main problem is all Maths. It's about we'll give we'll give this many minutes to him in this episode, this many minutes to him, and then we'll leave him out for a few, but then give him a few minutes here. So it's all about making sure that these stories are nicely tied up across 10 hours. But having said that, the books have got so much detail to them and they're so tangential and good and, word. and, and, and thanks. <laughs> and they're kind of verbose in a way in, in, in the way that they describe things, sensual things. We can't. We haven't got the room to, to describe that. We have to show that as a clear visual image in a couple of seconds. So stuff has to be dropped and stuff has to be changed around a little bit. And that's why I always say it's probably best not to read too far ahead in the books. Because as an actor, you'll read ahead in the books. You'll come across something that you really like that, that happens to your character in the future, in the books. You'll have your heart set on it. And then when it comes to the time, for time reasons, it just goes. It won't happen. It just won't happen. So you've been posing in front of the mirror for (laughs) for months, getting it right, and it's not even going to be there. So...
0: Does it go that way for, for, for characters dying as well? Are there characters that die on the show that haven't died in the books or, or vice versa? And not
1: really major characters, no. Okay, because I know mean,
0: least... Walking Dead does that. They'll yeah. mess with it to keep the fans on their toes.
1: I think that now the show's uh, that uh, the, This season especially, the the show is beyond the books. So we, oh. Yeah, so the... Season six, yeah. So we've got as far as the books have gone in terms of source material, and now we're out on a limit. So a nobody bit. knows what's going to happen. So nobody now, knows yeah. what's going to happen, and... You know, don't be surprised if what you see in the next season isn't in the next book. Mm-hmm. It's not really about we're now overtaking the books, and the books now have to catch right. up. Right, Miller's going
0: to do what he wants to do. They
1: may just, they may just split up a little bit, mm-hmm. which, which is fine, because people trust the show and people like the show, and also crucially, George R R Martin, who writes the books. On, He's a, a, an executive producer on the show. He writes the odd episodes. He's very much involved. So anything that happens going forward isn't going to happen without his blessing. It's not like... So he still has to approve yeah, what's going to happen. It's not like David and Dan have wrestled the books from his grasp and now have <laughs> carte blanche to <laughs> yeah, yeah, do yeah. whatever they want with it. It's, just, it's still his, yeah. Yeah, we, 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 with his intentions or change his intentions in any way. Anything that happens will happen for the good of the show. And they might be slightly different for the good of the books. But now people trust the show in and of itself... That they'll go along with it, I think. Do you get the
0: scripts like all ten scripts at once, or is it a weekly thing? Like, here's your script for this week, and then here's your script for next
1: week. Uh, usually, usually a couple of months before we start shooting, they dribble through. We normally, okay. we, we normally get them in three blocks, which is a very, very exciting time, especially this year when when, when you we can't look at the book, we, we can't even look at the book to find out what's going to happen. So, so, so this year, yeah, it all became very, very exciting finding out what happens to people, and and because. Uh, the way the show's set out, there's so much of the show that we're not involved in as actors. So we're involved in 10% of it, and 90% of it is different storylines. Sure, that some have
0: people you've never even done scenes with. Never done scenes the majority scene, of the Most crew. people, yeah. yeah, I've never done scenes the with the cast.
1: Them. So just to find out what happens to them. I stopped reading other people's scenes a, a, a couple of years ago just because I wanted to see... I wanted to see it. I, what happens? I, I wanted to watch eventually. it as a viewer, the way we can do, because we, we have nothing to do with their storyline, apart from in some kind of vague way, mm-hmm. f- all, all for the greater good and stuff. The fact that we don't have anything to do with that story means I wanted to watch it. Yeah. I wanted to see it like everybody else see wants it to see it. unfold the way
0: the director and producer intended to be.
1: Yeah, that's in, yeah but, but one thing I found when I was reading it was, even though you know what's going to happen plot-wise and narratively, You read some of the stage directions in the scripts and you think, God, I don't know how they're going to film this. I just Mm -hmm. don't know how they're going to get it together. I don't know how they've got the budget. I don't know how they've got the time. And what happens every year is you find that they do the impossible and they manage to film what appears to be unfilmable on paper. Right. So that was was a certain thrill in that as well, seeing that you see the words and it's ink on paper. It takes a second to write down this stage direction, but then you... It seems impossible. You give it to the director, you give it to the actors and the, the amazing art and design team that we've got on it, the VFX guys, setting, yeah. and then you see it, and you, and you see it come to life. It must be how George feels all the time. When he's writing it. When, when he sees yeah. the show. It must be the kind of, oh, God, something that I wrote. I think he wrote the first book in 91. Hmm. So that's the, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Something that I wrote 25 years ago is now been made visually real. Yeah, yeah. It must be a real thrill.
0: Let's let's talk about one of my favorite Samuel scenes. Is when uh, you mentioned the White Walkers. It's yeah. the classic scene. Yeah. First of all, how did you film that? And second of all, I have a question as to why did the White Walker just look at you, look at Sam, and just move on? Well, that's
1: an interesting point. That's not really been that's not really been uh, explained properly. I think I think people have people have argued uh, yeah. for a long time about what that means. Maybe he could sense. Maybe he could sense the dragon glass because dragon glass is the only thing that can. Because you already had the dragon glass. Yeah, I already glass, had it by that time. You so found it. Yeah, the so dragon glass can kill the White Walker. Yeah, that was before that. He found he found a stash of dragon glass before that, and then there was the White Walker attack at the end of season two. So maybe, maybe the White Walker could. Sense so you're never it. told these sort of no, things. No, never told told these. But I, I think that's that's <laughs> that's good that it's not it's not made explicit to us because if you want it to be ambiguous, you can't have an actor oversell it
0: yeah I mean. it was funny because I went and googled it afterwards, yeah. trying to maybe I missed something because there's so much happening,
1: yeah actually,
0: uh Roman reigns and I discussed Game of Thrones at length, and he went and watched it a couple times Roman reigns is our champion, yeah right? yeah and he's watched it a couple times because there's so many names and so much thrown at you that you really have to watch it a few times, yeah, so I googled it to see, and one of the explanations is that maybe sam Sam is uh you know kind of weak. You know, oh, yeah. timid, yeah. and the White Walker was just like you know, if you were gonna kill, you know, a bunch of hamsters, and there's one of them that's lame with three legs. You're like, oh, this yeah. one's not a tough enough life as it is. I'll just leave it alone. It
1: could be that. As that well. was another
0: because he was so s- timid at that point in time. That's right. Terrified.
1: It could be that as well. I you mean, never know. It, it, it could. It could be kind of any of these things. The great, the great thing about about TV and especially TV of this type, it does give a lot of people room to speculate a lot sure. of time. And I, and I think that's part of the fun. That's why there's a lot of, you know, fan websites and things like that yeah. d- dedicated to it. The fact that the speculation and all the peripheral kind of whys and wherefores around the, the main body of the show—that's that's part of the fun for people. So it's best not to kind of. It's best not to kind of spoil. It's like the end of The Sopranos, where people didn't know if sure. if Tony had died or not. I, 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 spoiler again. You should have watched it by now, though. Really. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But but you know. Yeah, I th- 10 years ago 10 years I think ago. the statue of spoiler limitations has run out
1: yeah completely can't get me on that <laughs> yeah one. yeah but you know and I, and I think that it actually has been explained and, and the showrunner has explained exactly what happened but, you know i'd rather not know well it's it's the same like you know, pulp fiction what was in
0: marcellus wallace's case yeah completely you know that they were the guys were killing people for and had that bright light in it and yeah no one ever really knows for sure and there's so many different theories about it yeah which makes it even more mysterious and more more cool in my opinion
1: yeah completely i i think that that it it, it, it comes from the best place when you can sense that the people who made the show knew what they were doing Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's been done deliberately. It's been done for a reason. It's not. It's not the fact they didn't know. They yeah. do know, but they don't want they, you that to know That's it ambiguous
0: on purpose. On
1: purpose. And I think that's the one that's it's most effective. How did, yeah. how did
0: you film that sh- that scene? Was there a lot of? Was you were you just looking at a blank space, or was there a guy walking with a you there, know a cloak on? Or
1: yeah, there was literally a guy walking um, with a huge wooden pole mm-hmm. with a green spot on the top of it, which, ah. which was which was supposed to be uh, the White Walkers. Face. So as long as I'm looking at that, I'm looking at his face. But a lot of people think that that the White Walker, who is the, who, who, the actor and the costume is the same White Walker that was killed in season three later on. A lot of people think that's a lot of CGI. Hmm. That it's a, it's a CGI created monster, but that's purely prosthetic. Oh, it's actually a real guy. It's actually a real guy in, oh. in, in a real latex suit. Oh, I didn't know that. And that and, and that's that's when you really see the crafting. In, mm-hmm. in a lot in a lot of the people 's work on this show when you can get something that 's real, but people think it's looks too good to be real and it must be fake yeah but that 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 all adds to it because there's a scene later on where just before I kill the white walker in in the um in the it's a scene in the forest, in the forest and, yeah and the guy was there, Ross, who's, who's a Ross Mullen, who's an expert at these things. He's an expert in animalistic body movement, and he's an mm. incredible acrobatic performer. He, we were doing the scene, and he's walking towards me, and and you can see him coming through the trees in costume, and and you just get flashes of him in the darkness, just this this skeletal face coming at you through the darkness, and you think, oh god, I bet this is going to look cool. Yeah. You know and I mean, just because I was there and I could see it without any t- tiny touches of CGI that were added later, right. I could see it on the day and it looked pretty cool. Yeah, or the shading of the lighting you yeah, see it live. Yeah, everything, every single pixel, every every single square mm. inch of that screen has been thought about by somebody. Uh, just in terms, of, in terms of lighting decisions, in terms of camera placement, it's all been thought about. But even when you see it in real life and it's pretty cool, you know but it's going to be something. impressive. Yeah.
0: It's, I did a, a movie, there's this popular th- uh, series of, Really campy movies called Sharknado. Yeah, in in the state I did oh, yeah. three last year, and I got eaten by a shark on a roller coaster. Yeah, it was a roller coaster tenant. So when you get eaten by, they thrash back and forth and scream and yeah. go thrash thrash thrash, and I give myself a. Headache from yeah. just moving over and over, take take take, and then when you see it with the CGI shark, yeah, it looks really cool. It makes sense, yeah. And yeah and it just like and like what a amazing like transformation from like you said, there's nothing here, and then suddenly you have this giant shark eating you. Yeah, it must have been kind of cool for you the same way with the White Walkers when they're all just walking by you when you were just looking at a pole with a light on top of it. I know, but you
1: know? so so much of acting, and, and it's been it's been the case ever since I first started at drama school. If you if you take acting and look at it. Objectively, it's ludicrous. A lot of the stuff you're asked to do is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a ludicrous job. It's, it, it, it's a luxury job. It's not a job that really affects people. Mm-hmm. Actors could be wiped from the face of the earth and everything and still carry on just fine. <laughs> yeah. So you're asked to do some pretty extreme and some quite silly things, but they're only silly out of context. In the If you buy into the context of the show, buy into the context of, of, of the life of the character that you're playing, they make perfect sense. Yeah, it, well, that's long, acting yeah. Yeah, as long as you commit to it. Somebody once said to me at drama school. It's a great it's a great way of simplifying acting acting is responding to fake stimulus with genuine emotion. Mm. Great quote, which is a really, really, really good. Nice kind of yes, it is reductive in a good way looking at it. Yeah. But but then again, you it takes an imaginative leap and it's the same with CGR. You have to trust. The guys who come and do their work later. Let those professionals
0: do their job.
1: Yeah and, yeah, and you've got to commit to it as much as they do it. Mate, if it starts to feel silly for one second or if it starts to feel slightly ludicrous and that you're slightly, slightly in an uncomfortable place where you feel a bit stupid, then that's when you need to have a think, think, you know, you have to commit to this because people are going to come along later who are going to commit to it too with mm. their art. And you have, to, you have to commit to it fully and meet halfway to create these moments. That's a great point.
0: Yeah. I saw um, Roger Waters do The Wall a few years ago. Oh, my God, yeah. So, I mean, the music is genius. Yeah. But then the set construction and the lighting and the sound and the computer graphics, you have probably... Half a dozen geniuses All doing their job To make yeah. this production And it, that th- What you just said Translates It's like You have to let Everyone do their job And trust that They're going to be committed oh, yeah. As much as you As a yeah. performer I'd love to see the wall It's great I, If you ever get a chance I'd
1: love to I saw David Gilmore At the Hollywood Bowl A couple, oh, of, did you? A couple of weeks ago No kidding oh, Yeah right, It was incredible
0: know. Yeah He he does a lot of Floyd stuff Still too right
1: Yeah he does yeah. I mean and it was uh, There was The obligatory couple of tracks Off the new album Which mm. is great as well By mm-hmm. the way but just there was just something about hearing that voice yeah there's something about hearing the voice yeah and and, and hearing that cuz he's a, he's a, a musical scientist almost david that's Gilmore, a good point yeah in terms of using all of he's very tech savvy yes and he uses a lot of different probably hugely expensive equipment to create exactly the same the right tones exactly the right tone that you hear on the record Mm -hmm. and Hollywood Bowl as well which is a huge venue massive place and uh, and acoustically can be tricky yeah he managed to fill it with this incredible sound, and that that's when you see craftsmen and you see Mm -hmm. people like him and you see people like McCartney as well who I unfashionably love oh me too And you see them you think they don't need to work anymore but they're still striving for something but i love and the same with the stones it's like why do they do this they they don't need the money it's not about the money no it's not if
0: you do anything the same as for you acting like you just mentioned before you're doing other movies and other shows whether you're making scale or whether you're making 10 million dollars it's it's to expand your your creativity
1: completely And, and, and and the stones always put. Songs into the live set list that that people don't know so well. Well, McCartney, too. He's opening with Hard Day's
0: Night now. This he's never played live. He's never played it live. It's amazing. I just saw that the other night. I was looking at the set list. I'm a big go and see what's the set. I couldn't believe it. There's there's a bunch of tunes on there like that. There's like. what else was he playing? Temporary secretary.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I just really
0: weird first, tunes like that. The first
1: time he ever played Temporary Secretary was at the O2
0: here <laughs> last year, and I was there. It's like talk about like the most obscure of McCartney tunes. Yeah, I love
1: that tune though. Uh, it's great, but I mean, you would you ever expect him to play that? No, you wouldn't. You know, and that's pure McCartney in a way because I think McCartney has been uh, often unfairly derided as playing it safe. I don't think he ever plays it safe. I think he's a, such an innovative people artist. People forget that. Yeah, I know. Because you take a song like Band on the
0: Run, which is such a staple, there's like five tempo changes. That song doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It just like, you know, the Beatles material, it goes into a lot of that wing stuff. Yeah. He's, he, and like you, you, people forget, like this guy is in left field musically. Oh, completely. But because he's so good and there's so many hicks, uh, hooks and harmonies and melodies, yeah.
1: you just accept it. Yeah, you do. Right? And even in a song like Temporary Secretary, which is which is basically a, a techno... I think it's like three seconds mm-hmm. of techno that's just on a constant loop. Yeah, yeah. He can't help but put a melody into yeah. it. Yeah. He sings a melody, like a singable mel- melody. He, well, yeah. He, he's, he's a melodic... Genius, and he's just one of those guys that can just seem to pull melodies out of thin air. Well,
0: and that's that's the brilliance of it. Yeah, like you said, that's why he still does it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you mentioned seeing Gilmore at the Hollywood Bowl. Was it was the first time you ever went to L.A. because of Game of Thrones, or had you gone out there before?
1: I went out. Yeah, I went out for the for the Emmys in I think 2012. That was the first time I'd (laughs) ever been to America, and it's interesting going to America because you find that because we film in Belfast and it's mainly in Belfast, I should say, and it's got a local crew and there's lots of UK actors in it. You can forget that you're part of this American thing. Mm-hmm. You can, yeah, the show's an American show. It's an American show. It's, it's got American masterminds, crucially American money, and HBO, which is this incredible American platform for us to tell the story on. You can forget that when you're, when you're just in Belfast with a couple of English actors. Yeah. But, but it's only when you go over there and you see the response to it over there. They're they're so forthcoming. It's like we had our premiere on Sunday of last week, and they they cordoned off half of Hollywood Boulevard, and there were people (laughs) strewn across the street. It's huge. They must have been waiting for hours, and it's interesting to take it home in a way. It's like taking... It's, it's like McCartney playing Liverpool, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, taking Game of Thrones, <laughs> yeah. which goes all over Europe to make it, and we send it back to them and see what they think of it, and they seem to love it.
0: Is that when you realized how big Game of Thrones was it when you went to the Emmys, or, or was it pretty quickly into the first season, or was it the second season where it became huge, or was it instantly? Yeah,
1: yeah the build-up to the second season was, was when I think we knew that we had a, a hit. hit, because... Crucially and, I, and, I, and I've said this before, but I think it's so true. It's not up to us to make a big show It's not up to the actors to make a big show. It's up to the actors to make a good show Which then becomes big if it's good enough, right? We can't we can't be on set thinking of of how it's going to be marketed or how it's going to tie That's in not your job It's not our job. Well, we can't be thinking of the billboards We can't be thinking of the tie-in merchandise mm-hmm. All we got to be thinking is we want to justify how big it gets by making it good in the first place, right? I think that's quite crucial.
0: What about the fan base cuz I noticed um there's three three fan like wrestling fans, yeah, kiss fans and sci-fi fans yeah. are insane. Completely. You know, love everything, hate everything, super technical and details, blah, blah blah. Yeah. What's the fan reaction for you? I'm sure you've done signings, comic cons, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, they they're, they're really passionate about it. But that that we were lucky in the first place because when you start any new series, you have to try and find an audience. You have to put it out there and have faith that enough people will latch onto it, that it becomes a success. Right. But, but with Game of Thrones, because it was based on these series of books that are already hugely popular, ah, yeah, we had a, a huge audience already in place who were going to watch it because they loved the books. Mm-hmm. But what what you have then is you have a solution to a problem that creates a new problem, because. We've got an audience there who are going to watch it, but also we've got an audience there to potentially really piss off if we don't get it <laughs> right. right.
0: Yeah. It's so into every uh, single detail uh, about the show and every single um, you know, moment and just analyzing everything. Do you get those type of people too?
1: Yeah, I've had that a few times. and, I, and you know, I, I've told this story before, but it's a real favorite because it's, it says a lot about the mindset of some of the people <laughs> who watch the show. I was in London um not so long ago and and a guy comes up and he's very respectful he was just a nice nice intelligent looking guy and he says i really love the show can i ask you a question and i said yeah of course of course ask away he said okay he says uh, um I, I, i've watched the show for a long time and i've just got one question why are you still so fat <laughs> i went what? i went sorry he went, why are you still so fat in 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 the show why is sam still so fat why is Sam still fat? Why is Sam still so fat? And and so, so I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look, he's been walking across ice plains. He's not been eating. He's been on the run from ice zombies for a long time. He'd be shedding the pounds a little bit. They, they would be coming off. And I thought, it's strange, really, the fact that, you know, this is a fantasy show. It's a nail to the mast fantasy show with dragons and, and women giving birth to clouds and, and, and people who can be brought back to life by, <laughs> right, but... by, by a snow zombie. And me being fat. Is the, one, <laughs> is the one thing about it that he just That's didn't buy. That's the one buy. acceptable thing. That's the one thing where, where they just took the fantasy elements a little bit too far <laughs> for this guy. You got to love that sort of attitude, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you've got, and it's kind of, but you know, the fact is, and, and, and you probably know this, the fact is that there's a lot of guys on this show Who are incredibly ripped and muscle bound? Right. Who aren't eating either. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're not getting the protein they need (laughs) to bulk to bulk up to that size. Exactly. Yeah. So, 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 if you look at it from a purely biological standpoint, none of it, a a lot of it, doesn't work. Really makes sense. But you just got to buy into it because because you know certain things have a certain dramatic weight to them. Whenever people
0: say something like, "Why would this happen to wrestling?" I say, "Listen." Why if I throw someone to the ropes do they hit them and run back at me? Yeah. You know, I mean that's like yeah. that's like the most basic element of wrestling, which is throw someone to the ropes, I'll hang on to the ropes and just leave. Yeah. So I know. You, you just got to work with me here sometimes. Yeah,
1: exactly. Just got to just got to meet me halfway and we, we <laughs> yeah. should have a mutually
0: satisfying <laughs> Right, right, right. Um you mentioned before being uh being so tight with Kit. Yeah. How, how was it for you when Jon Snow died? Which, you know, and then this is not Wrestling, we had, whether it's a secret or not, at the end of the last episode, he died. Yeah. And so, as far as I know, as a fan, he's dead. Completely. Yeah. How was that for you, as a fan of the show, and also as a good friend of, of
1: Kit? Well, we always have this this double whammy of of grief when were, as a cast, whenever somebody goes, because because we all love the show as well, and I'm 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 a huge fan of everybody in it. So mm. whenever somebody goes, you're saying goodbye to. The character that you love and that you've watched and followed, but you're also saying goodbye to the actor as well, who's become a great friend. So so you're seeing two people disappear in a way. Right. You're seeing the character and the actor. But it was it was hard with Kit because as I said earlier on, it was the first professional relationship I ever had. He was the first person I ever acted with professionally. And and it was nice to go away and do our own thing, but it was always nice to come back together and it was just like putting on a, a comfortable pair of jeans you know mm-hmm. our relationship always clicked back in we found the chemistry on screen very quickly and it was hard to to think that that i'd be without that because you know as, as we've also said that it's such a great luxury working with friends and not only with friends working with one of your best friends in the whole world and he, and i got to work with him on occasions and that made it so much easier. It was such a dream working with him, mm-hmm. and because I got to hang out with him as well. And it was just hard to accept that that he's, he's gone because we're quite closely associated with each other. Yeah, Th- those characters are really associated. You're the closest with each other. two
0: characters on the show that yeah, don't hate each other, as far as I can think.
1: I know there's always a warmth yeah. when, when you see those two characters together, and without that, you're just worried that maybe that element is going to be missing, but it's certainly a big element that's going to be missing from my professional career, not having it, not, not banking on being able to see him mm-hmm, every, mm. every July till Christmas. But, you know, I, I, I'm very, very, I'm, I'm very close with Hannah Murray as well. who plays Gilly. We've got a really nice relationship oh, okay. as well. So um, yeah, we're really good friends and it's always great to see her. So I'm not saying that I'm completely unhappy now that <laughs> I'm not working with Kit anymore, but, but, you know, it's just chapters close in your life. And our you, professional career... Our professional relationship is a chapter that's just closed, sadly.
0: I, I know with The Walking Dead, I had uh, Josh McDermott who plays Eugene on... And they said that they have death dinners. Yeah. When somebody dies, they go out for one last, you know, Yeah. Hurrah.
1: Did you guys do something like that? Yeah, well, yeah, it, It's it's always really sad. But I think that people are just so proud of the show and so proud to have been a part of it that nobody... Nobody necessarily wants to go. Mm-hmm. But they know sometimes that big deaths are what people remember about this show. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of Ned Stark, you think of the Red Wedding, you think of all of these, you think of Joffrey. Gosh. When characters go, major characters go, it tends to be memorable. And I think as actors, we we trust David and Dan, we trust our directors, we trust each other as actors. that when our final scene finally comes that it's going to be a satisfying one, and a memorable one and they're gonna do the character justice and I think they always have How about the cat who tried to kill the mountain and he was dancing around him and then he flipped him down and I know crushed his head There you go. I mean, th- that was a good one that that season Season four I think that was Pedro Pascal came in as the Red Viper and and stole that season. Mm-hmm. He was incredible in that season and he was so incredible in it and made such an impact on the show that you forget that he was only around for yeah. eight, eight, nine episodes yeah, like right. that at the very most. Right. And so that's what's great about this show for an actor. You can create quite a lot of impact very quickly mm-hmm. because, of the, because of the material that you've got to work with, the character that, you've got to, that, you, that you get to perform. You don't need a lot of time in the show to be completely memorable. Because because the show's always creating these iconic images that seem to burn onto people's right consciousnesses, and, and and you don't have to be in a couple of episodes to make that happen. But, but Pedro was a perfect example of somebody who just took the bull by the horns, created this incredible character, and in such a short space of time, is now forever closely associated. One of the most with,
0: memorable scenes. Yeah, one of the most the memorable show. characters. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And he's he, he will forever be in the firmament of the show, but. He's, he's not needed five seasons to do yeah, it. The, yeah, the characters yeah. are so well-formed and so well-written and, and you know, interp- Played, inter- yeah. interpreted so brilliantly by certain actors that, that you can create an impact very quickly on that show, I think. Was there some choices that you made to play Sam that weren't necessarily in
0: the book or the script?
1: Yeah, I, I, I decided to play Sam with at the, at the start especially, but it's kind of flattened out now as his characters changed. I always tried to play him with a stutter, yeah, yeah. Like a slight stutter. So mm-hmm. so just, just when he's about to say something, you, you get the first sound of the word, and then he stops himself, and then he starts again. And I think <laughs> my kind of... And it, and it was in his walk as well. He's got a kind of stuttering walk. He's not fluid in his movement, and he's not fluid in his speech. And I decided that what's going on in Sam's mind, because Sam's mind... The reason that Sam's mind is so developed and so active is because he's constantly... Talking himself out of doing things So he'll start to speak And then his internal monologue will go Oh no, don't say that hmm. Oh no, I, I will say that Oh no, don't say that So he's so unsure of himself He never quite knows whether to act or not So this stuttering And this, and this jerky kind of Backwards and forwards movement And the false start to words And not quite completing sentences And, and, and the words landing in a strange place That was all to do with him Not being quite sure whether to hmm. speak or not because because he was been told constantly ever since birth that he shouldn't be seen or heard. He was an embarrassment, and he should just crawl away to a little corner somewhere and not get in anybody's way, because he's a severe embarrassment, and the less that the father sees of him, the better. So when you have somebody with that psychology, they, they'll never be allowed to blossom because they've got so much crippling doubt about themselves. And that was my lead into that little stutter, that he's always... He's always unsure whether to act or not. He's always unsure about what he's doing is right. It's a great choice because
0: I always took it like he was just like you said had no confidence. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: intimidated by all these great warriors. Yeah. and
0: he's thinking that he doesn't belong. He's just a piece of shit.
1: And know? that and that's the thing about Sam. As soon as you as soon as you start to get to know him, you always see that he's got so much more worth than he thinks he has. Mhm he's always the last person to admit that he's any good at all right and those choices feed into that about, about so much in Sam's life has been unsaid because he's not got the courage to say things or do things. Mm-hmm. And, but there's sometimes when you do see that when he does act, and when he does act out of instinct, he, he's on the money quite a lot of the time, and he does say a lot of worthwhile things, and he does a lot of worthwhile things. So the great tragedy in, in him is, think of all the things that he could have said and done, if only he hadn't have talked himself out of it. How old is the Sam character? Um, well, we, he was 18 when, when the show gotcha. started. But the, But that's the thing when the narrative of the show is a little bit undetermined really in terms of in terms of the amount of time between season one and six nobody's really sure of how is it six
0: years or six weeks or six months that's the thing it seems
1: to be different it seems to be different from character to character from storyline to storyline almost but if we take him as 18 when the show started, it's probably not. It's not six years. Early it's probably, 20s, yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. A couple quick predictions I don't want you to answer,
0: but I just have to say for the record. I'm not even going to look at you when I say them. First of all, this season, Sam will become a badass. I think it's the great transition, like you mentioned, Walter White, where he started this timid loser and then becomes this evil drug lord. I don't think Sam's going to be evil, but I think he's going to turn into a badass. And I think Jon Snow will get resurrected by the witch. Uh, because Jon Snow, like I was so sad when he died because he's my favorite guy. So, um, you know, it'd be like if Daryl died on Walking Dead. Not that he couldn't, but that's just my prediction. I think he'll come back. So
1: It's interesting with a lot of those, a lot of those, a lot of the deaths in, in TV drama, especially, people r- refuse to believe that they're real. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's like, spoiler alert again, it's like when Stringer Bell died in The Wire. Yeah. I just thought a character that big can't go. But yeah. just, but you know what? Th- these shows prove that life is temporary. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love because anybody can die at any time. So we hear it all the time. Oh, so-and-so died and you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. You know, I, that could thing. happen. It's the old thing. Another thing that I heard at school, which, which is probably a famous thing, you know, if you were to draw a line to, in the sand to represent your life, the one thing you don't know is where you are on the line at the moment. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that, that's an interesting thing about the way that deaths are represented in TV, the fact that people are alive right up until they're dead. So there's no foreshadowing a lot. Life can be just snuffed out. And, yeah. And it's part of that denial that people feel about death in real life. But, you see, you, you're onto a winner when, when it's like an actor. People can have that genuine emotional response. Are you it, discussing it? Yeah. yeah. Even though it's fake stimuli, they can have the... Genuine emotional but response. It's, to once it. again,
0: it's the same as wrestling. I mean, fake is not a good word for wrestling, but it's a, it's a show. It's predetermined. Yeah, of when something happens when someone wins or loses. People will debate that until the until the proverbial cows come home.
1: Yeah,
0: guys, it's a show. I know, you know this guy should have won. This guy should have won. This guy lost. Blah, blah 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 blah. It's a show. Yeah, you know, well, you should never have done that. Listen, if I show up for a Steven Spielberg movie yeah. and it calls for my character to die on page three, yeah. I don't go well this isn't going to work for me because you know what's going to happen? Steve's going to go f- off and bring somebody else in and yeah. die on page three. I know. That's how it works. Yeah. But it,
1: in terms of the whole, the, which, is, which is what I find. I was a huge fan of WWF slash me. In fact, the first record I ever bought was, you won't believe me, but it was, the first record I ever bought was WWF The Music Volume 4. Oh, yeah? That was the first album I Who ever bought. Who was on that one? Uh, you were on it oh, okay so it's the green cover yeah the green cover ah, That was nice. the first record i ever bought <laughs> so i was such a huge fan and now that i now that i i know a little bit more about form and structure and narrative i realize that every time you guys go out it's pivotal moments in right in in the narrative of your story the other guy's story the, the narrative of the whole organisation and you only get one go at it a live take a live take right. you, you get a live take and it's got to be it's, i mean I, I, the respect that i have for you guys as as athletes and entertainers is just holds no i appreciate bounds. that
0: it's interesting because it's, like it's like an ensemble cast yeah there's some people on the show that i've known for years that i've never done yes, a seen with a match with yeah you know and i never thought of that before
1: but when you it's the same with us but when you get yeah. to, when you get together and you see each other you still you still feel part of this well, yeah, team. we're part of the cast yeah you, you still know? feel that you're on the same ship and pulling in the same direction so it feels like all of the and it's very it's a very beautiful thing when you get lots of people who are just cogs in the machine well yeah
0: and, and i also tell like people too it's like a, a good sports team whether you're a football fan or hockey or whatever it may be yeah um sometimes you are the leader in the game you, you play 30 minutes and you're the quarterback and other yeah. times you're on for two plays But you got to make sure you block the pass or whatever it may be. Yeah, It's the same with our show and probably the same with yours. If you have one scene in a given episode, you better go out there and kill that
1: scene. Oh, completely. Because if you don't, the whole
0: show could fall apart when it gets to your
1: scene. Yeah, and that's the great thing about it because because the trust has developed over the years and you become fans of other people you know that every other scene is going to have actors that are playing at the top of their game yeah yeah, yeah. so what you've got to make sure you don't do is let the side down with yours mm-hmm. you think it would create pressure the fact that you've got to follow a scene with peter dinklage that then goes into a scene after you with right, 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 Dinah right. Rigg rig and jonathan price yeah. you think you think oh how am i going to possibly hold up to these guys but all you got to do is just hold your make sure that your patch of the quill is as strong as it can yeah, be. good, yeah. And then then the, the, the through line will work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A couple of last questions. Uh, what's your favorite McCartney song?
1: My favorite solo or Beatles? Uh,
0: both. Pick one for me each.
1: Uh, my favorite McCartney Beatles song is probably For No One. Oh, interesting. Off Revolver. Yeah. That's what I love about... Uh, He's playing here, there, everywhere on this tour as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. What I love about the Beatles is you know you get you get the greatest hits beatles you get mm. you get that number 127 songs right. thing but if you were to just listen to the albums oh. and just listen to them this is this is what i if i could go back to any time in kind of pop culture it would be to the times when a new beatles record was coming out a new yes. a, a new lp was coming out and you went out you bought it you brought it home you've got no idea what it's going to be like absolutely no idea and yeah. you, and you listen to it you experience that for the first time not cherry picking the song that you mm-hmm. want but buying an LP with them all on that would be and not knowing what to expect and probably having to
0: get used to each transition yeah because I know who I am you know like for example, when the Metallica Black album came out, and they yeah. turned from these like long thrash songs to very concise, almost acdc type tunes. Yeah, and I hated it at first. Yeah, I can see me doing that between, you know, Revolver and Pepper, where Revolver's you know, know. Or, or even Rubber Soul to Revolver or, yeah. or Pepper to White Album. But that's the genius of that band.
1: It is. Know. I mean, it's, it's interesting the fact that you do get Pepper and then. Then that, that the magical mystery tour album, which is quite pepperish and kind of kind sure, of yeah, out there. And then the White album. Which, which is just which completely is just, out in it's, space. It's insane. Yeah, a song it, like Wild Honey Pie or something like Honey but it's just like what the hell is this? In stuff? a way it's more insane than Pepper and Magical oh, Mystery I agree. Tour because it's so unpredictable. I agree. Oh, and, and my favourite McCartney solo. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you're counting Wings as solo Yeah, sure, of course I really like um, Let Me Roll It Oh, that's a great
0: tune off, um, Still plays that
1: Yeah, he does And and he, he does a kind of foxy lady yeah. tribute at the yeah, end yeah, yeah. But a, a record came out uh, I think uh, Christmas Before Last Which is uh, called The Art The Art of McCartney Yeah It's a great record Yeah And on that, Paul Rogers does Let Me Roll It Oh, right? cool It's absolutely it Sounds great. great And Bob Dylan does... Um, Things we said today and uh, Kiss Does Venus and
0: Mars. It's amazing. There's a lot of great stuff on There's there.
1: There's so much great stuff on there, and that just shows you just a the kind of universal themes that McCartney talks about in terms of it, anybody can relate to it. But just the melodies are so singable.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you could go see a McCartney show where he plays 38 songs. Yeah, and think of another 38 songs that he could have played. Oh, completely. Yeah, the, the show would be just as good.
1: Yeah, I, when I saw him. Last year he did "Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite," yeah, which was not even one of his tunes. It's so firmly a John tune. But he, but he, he, he's at he's at the level now where he feels he can do all that because he didn't play Beatles for tunes years. in in, on, in concert for years in the years. '90s and '80s. I mean, if see, even when Wings started, he didn't do any no, he Beatles didn't. tunes. Which is which is a very brave thing to do, but it's a guy who's. He's a he's a guy who's always got faith in. Well, once it, again, he didn't want to be typecast.
0: Yeah, completely. He wanted to completely reinvent himself, and that means you can't go back to the well no. and do the Beatles tunes. I
1: know, and and he's still innovative. His he, yeah. his last album that that um knew, oh, not, it was not great, that, new great new new was great, but not the. Was the Kisses on the bottom before or after that? I think it was before, before that.
0: that. Yeah. New but, was the one that was very uh, still it, it, avant-garde, a lot of electronic really, and uh, stuff. Really?
1: Yeah. And the challenge of working with three different yeah. producers on one album shows a guy who's very I ambitious. I thought
0: that was a really good record. I heard Alligator today. I hadn't heard it for a while. It's yeah. that's a good tune, man. It's a great tune. You know? It's a
1: great tune. And he's singing for his voice more. I yeah. Think, yeah, I, yeah. I actually think it's a great time for a lot of those older guys. I think Bob Dylan in the last 10 years, has gone ice cool. Have you heard of this uh massive gig that they're trying to
0: play yeah. Coachella? Unbelievable. Dylan Stones, Neil Young and McCartney, and Roger Waters the and, Who the Who and Roger Waters. I mean, come on. I mean, that's like the biggest How of do all you time. get into that gig? I don't even know. Like, yeah, like how would you get into it even getting a ticket? Yeah, I don't know. And then getting into that Coachella's nuts, but I mean, you know, I like the idea of it. Yeah. more than how the hell would I get in there, you know? Yeah,
1: the idea of it. I mean, yeah, yeah I think, yeah, they're going to divide it up, I think. Three uh, nights. Three nights, and Dylan and the Stones, and yeah. then McCartney and Neil, Neil and the Stones.
0: Or oh, sorry, Neil and, Neil Neil and McCart- Paul, yeah, and, then- and then Who and Waters. Wow. I mean, yeah. What
1: more do you want? I know. I mean, like and, uh, you said, all these
0: guys, and that's what I love about it, they're all in their 70s, but that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. They all just are great musicians, and they rock.
1: Yeah, they are. You and, and, you know, like we were saying before about about you know character actors being a lead actors mm-hmm. being of a certain age now, they've all found they're all who they are now. Yeah, especially I've seen Bob Dylan on, a few times, and people say that Bob Dylan isn't that great live anymore. I actually think he is. But every time you see him, if you see him a couple of years apart, you are seeing a slightly different version of mm-hmm. him. Never a, the same thing. Never the same thing. I saw him before and after he did that, um, a, that American Standards album that he mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And he was slightly different. He was doing them. And he's, di- and he's discovered that he can sing. Yeah. He can really sing same, on that yeah. record. And I've heard a couple of tracks of his new record, and he can sing on that as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is what's great
0: whether he chooses To sing or not I think sometimes He likes to just go Into his nasal Dylan voice Yeah Because I think oh, That feels good for me Right now I'll do that tonight
1: But he's showing A really romantic Old fashioned Vulnerable side yeah, to him yeah, yeah. yeah Which I think Is really yeah. Attractive in a, in, in a guy of his yeah. age What I love about
0: it too like, like Especially Dylan And the Stones And in the Who To an extent They all grew up Being huge blues fans Yeah and now they're all old blues men. Like I know. you know, the Stones are Howlin Wolf and Muddy Waters and all those guys they used to go nuts for in the sixties.
1: They have become that. Like they're a great yeah. old blues band now. I know and that's which is cool. But what's what I love about them, the fact that I mean the Stones experimented with a load of different forms mm-hmm. of music, especially mm-hmm. in the kind of eighties. Yeah. But they will I think they're releasing a blues album this year or I, maybe next year. I'll be they, the first they, in line to get it. They too. always come back. Yeah. To, to the blues. To the things blues. that they loved. Yeah. It's the same with the Beatles. They started off as a rock and roll band mm-hmm. doing, doing one-take stuff all in the same room. They went a bit crazy. Yeah. And then Abbey Road and, and Let, it L- Be. Let It Be are, are just both rock yeah, albums. Yeah, back on the rooftop. You no, know? Noel Gallagher, which I think is one of the best quotes about the Beatles ever. I think it was Noel Gallagher. He said, the Beatles, up, up until 64, 65, showed that they were the best pop group ever and then 65 to 70 they showed they were the best rock group ever hmm. i mean it's a great point yeah it's great it's great yeah just the invention and the you can drop into any beatles record and i'm kind of I, they're the only band who i like everything Every other,
0: maybe take like act naturally or something like that. A couple of those Ringo tunes are not. That's exactly kind of got his up.
1: charm to it, but I'd never listen to them more than once. Yeah,
0: I'd I never, mean, I'd never listen to Revolution Nine more than. Well, if they once. have two hundred and fifty songs, two hundred and forty five of them are great. Yeah, it's which is, which is an unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last question: Who's your favorite uh, character on Game of Thrones besides you? And what's your favorite scene that you've ever been in on Game of Thrones?
1: My favorite character, and then this, it kind of changes all the time Mm -hmm. but i think at the moment if i can just relate it to music for a second it kind of the beatles and acdc are my long-term partners but i have flings with lots of other bands. (laughs) i have flings with lots of other characters but my favorite character is one of them is definitely lord veris Mm -hmm. the the, the eunuch at king's landing yeah yeah because i think he's such a great Uh, Very flamboyant, feminine. But he's also such a great examination of how a lot of the genuine power lies in the background
0: mm.
1: and I mean it's not always the guy that you most suspect it's the guy it's, it's Good the, point. literally the whispering guy that's right who has the ears of everybody who you'd assume is mm-hmm. at the forefront of being in power can actually influence a lot by staying in the background and staying slightly underground right he, he can have a huge influence on it and it's also down to the performance as well mm. Conleth Hill who's a great friend of mine who I love very much he's incredible in that part and it's about how one thing I love about this show is that if if the guys in charge like an actor and like a performance they'll give them so much to do right that it's all about knowing what the audience responds to they reward good performances mm-hmm. with, with more screen time right and I think that's that's to their credit and it really strives everybody to be makes everybody strive to be sure. as good as they can I, I've
0: noticed that with uh, like I love Tyrion Lannister Peter Dinklage yeah I, I love the fact that he's <laughs> Very obviously diminutive, yeah. Physically, yeah. but Mentally, he's the smartest guy in the, in in that world. Oh yeah. You know, he's a manipulator, and he's just. I just love the way he conducts. Incredible his, his mind. Basically, yeah. I know. think
1: that's one of the one of the great. Maybe I think people are realizing it's one of the rare things when people are actually realizing now how good it is.
0: Yeah, and, and retrospect, like I said, you go back and watch him that from the start. Yeah. That's always been his mo, but you never noticed it at first.
1: No, but but he's. There are certain parts in this show where I think they were given to people who were the only people who could really play them in the world, mm. or the best person to play them in the, the world. The proverbial they were born to play this part. Yeah, I yeah. think that Peter's one of those. Yeah. I think Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Brienne, is one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, It's a good thing for, for actors to bear in mind that you, know, you may not come out of drama school and get your dream part straight away, but, but just be patient. Because, because stick stick in the game and, and the part you were born to play may come up when you're at least 30, about, 35, yeah, yeah. 40, 50. Look at Brian Cranston with... Uh, exactly. Pookie Look Bide, yeah. at Brian Cranston. And what I always say is it's all about <laughs> patience and commitment. And the one thing, just as a kind of final point, what I always say is if your ideal part comes along on the Wednesday, what if you'd given up on the Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Great mean? point, yeah. yeah. Great point.
0: What's your favorite scene that you ever did as Sam?
1: There's two really, and they're and they're they're vastly different. The first, the f- scene in the first episode that he's in, where he goes to the top of the wall, and he basically explains to John why he's at Castle Black. He explains to him that his father basically kicked him out mm-hmm. because because he was a disappointment, and he f- and you know he's been banished there uh, completely against his will because it's a place for, for ruthless guys. Sure. For criminals. He's so out of place. Yeah. And, and guys who are fighting, really unpleasant guys. So John asks him, what are you doing here? And he tells him and he's very candid and he's very honest and at that moment Sam starts to make sense because everybody else has been wondering what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. You're clearly not a criminal. You're cl- clearly not a fighter or a cutthroat. Why are you amongst these people? And it's only when he explains to him that that you realize that his situation is completely impossible and he's been really damaged by life, damaged by his father. His father's really, for want of a better expression, f***ed him up for for his entire life. And when you get to realise that and you have this peak inside his heart, that's when you you really start to have sympathy for him, I think. And I think another scene is later on, it's in season five where Sam is... Essential in getting John elected as Lord Commander in season right. five, which I think is a really good scene because it's quite a difficult acting job to do that. Because Sam wants it to come across like he's speaking from his heart and wants it to come across as a as an impassioned, kind of impulsive speech on the spur of the moment. But in actual fact, what it is, it's an acting job by Sam mm. because he wants, he knows that John being Lord Commander is. The best chance that he's got of getting Gilly and Baby Sam out of Castle Black and getting them safe. That's what his narrative was over that entire season. So when he's speaking in front of the whole night's watch and making this plea for John, he's trying to make it look like he's going to lose it. And his emotions are getting the better of him. But all along, he's very conscious of what he's doing. And he's playing it with real political rhetoric. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when you see just what a manipulator he can be. How he's learning. How he's learning, but how he can always... Manipulate people and That's He's t- learning how to manipulate yeah.
0: people yeah. Learning
1: how to ma- And I think he's always had that You've seen flashes of that Throughout the season influencing John all the time John wants to make decisions and John's very impulsive And he thinks I'm going to do this And Sam's the one who says no you don't want to do yeah, that yeah, yeah, You don't yeah, want to do yeah, that because yeah. this this and this And he makes him change his mind on, on, on numerous occasions And we've seen that a lot but I think that one Was the kind of purified form Of that I'm looking forward to seeing the badass Sam, the Ah, wizard. who knows? (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you, Chris. I know for a fact that some of the officers go to that brothel in Moles Town. I wouldn't doubt it. Well, don't you think it's a little bit unfair? Making us take our vows while they sneak off for a little Sally on the side. Sally on the side? Silly, isn't it? What? We can't defend the wall unless we celebrate. It's absurd. I didn't think you'd be so upset about it. Why not? Because I'm fat. No. But I like girls just as much as you do. <laughs> they might not like me as much. I've never been with one. You probably had hundreds. No. As a matter of fact, the same as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I find that hard to believe. came very close once. I was alone in a room with a naked girl. Didn't know where to put it. I know where to put it.
0: Alright, Game of Thrones Season 6 starts this Sunday on HBO. Can't wait. Thanks to John Bradley. What a, what a sweet guy. He plays Samuel uh, Tarly, as you know. Thanks to him for sitting down and sharing some great stories about being on the set of Game of Thrones. Thanks to Andy Beersack for setting up this interview. And thanks to you guys for listening twice a week right here on Talk is Jericho. And thanks for subscribing on iTunes and getting all your friends to subscribe and leave five star ratings and comments. Thanks for supporting all the great sponsors of Talk is Jericho, including Amazon and 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 listen, buy whatever you want on Amazon and all you Talk is Jericho, Amazon Warriors. Take a picture of what you bought and uh, post it up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho. I will uh, free tweet it and I'll follow you. How's that? Use the Talk is Jericho links to get to Amazon. And uh, find those links by going to podcast1.com, Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit that Talk is Jericho button. Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada. Still working on France, but you got the first three. Every time you use a Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. No extra fees or charges. Just go to podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All the great sponsors are there as well. DDP Yoga and the DDP Yoga Now app. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app, okay? Harrys.com, use my promo code Jericho to get five bucks off your first purchase. Works use that uh, works switch driver it's amazing use the promo code chris to get 10 percent off your order and free shipping uber guitar center thanks to all of the great sponsors and thanks to you guys for listening don't forget this sunday i will be on talking dead after fear the walking dead on amc i'm flying straight from spain all the way to la land for the afternoon bust out the show then take the red eye back to hartford i'm gonna be a tired dude but it's worth it it's a great show, uh, and this is a great show. Thanks for listening, and thanks uh, for listening to the 60-Second AP News uh, headlines coming up next um, next week. The continuing guests, the cavalcade of awesome guests continues. So we'll see you then. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big,
2: yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's PodcastONE.com.